0: I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Manna. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I answer questions submitted by all of you. know that the anglican church banned chess yeah they're not allowed to play chess they banned it because they couldn't tell the difference between a queen and a bishop oh <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 57. It is just me again in studio, um, continuing to pray for Jenna and for her family as they adjust to life with two babies. Um, But everyone is doing well, and uh, we hope to have her back here real soon. Um, And so let's get into it. Today, uh, my peak is that I'm recording this um, late at night on Thanksgiving. And so, very thankful for the day I was able to have with family, Um, small, intimate dinner which is my wife and her parents and our daughter but um still very nice very delicious um and also very grateful for uh, on this day of gratitude for all of you all of our listeners all of you who um continue to support this podcast those of you who support us financially on patreon which you can do for as little as a dollar a month those of you who have rate and re- rated and reviewed our podcast on itunes or whatever you listen to it on um, those of you who follow us on social media at man of food for thought on instagram And share the episodes and reflections that you find most useful. Very thankful for all of that and really appreciative of all of you just for continuing to support us. And and we hope this podcast continues to um, touch lives and uh, inspire people to live out their faith. And um, we're just grateful that God is continuing to use it. So that's my peak, just being very grateful for all that the Lord is doing through this and for having a great day with family. Uh, My pit is not really a a pit for me personally. I mean, uh, I don't mind, um, bad weather, but, um, in Orange County, it was raining a lot today and up in the mountains where we're from, it was snowing a lot. I don't know what the weather's like where you are from, but it just kind of, um, it made me sad that on a day like Thanksgiving where a lot of people are trying to get together, um, that it may have been really difficult or maybe impossible for people to see family because of how bad the weather was. And so, um, just, um, just kind of made me sad, and I know the holidays are a difficult time for some people who don't have all their family together or who've lost people. And so, my plug is um, to get to know your neighbors. Uh, maybe invite them over, um, host um, you know, friendsgivings or you know, Christmas things with your neighbors. Just little get-togethers because you never know if that person who lives next door is hurting or without family or can't get to see the people that they love. And you might be that person who God has planted right next to them to just be a, uh, a surrogate family member for them um, just at this point in their life. And, um, you know, as Christians, we're meant to exercise radical hospitality and love to our neighbors. And that's not just anyone we encounter, but also our physical neighbors, you know. So um, something to consider. I want to encourage you to do that. I know I could definitely be better at it myself. And so this is for me, too. Uh, I'm really excited for today's episode because this is just a Q&A episode. You guys have submitted questions, a lot of really great questions. We may not get to all of them in this episode, and if we don't, I'll do uh, another Q&A episode. Uh, maybe our next episode or sometime in the future. And so if you're listening to this and it inspires different questions, please always send them in. Uh, we're always collecting questions and episode suggestions, and we might do a whole episode on one of the questions, or we might just save it for our next Q&A episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but without further ado, I'm going to go into these questions. I'm going to keep them anonymous. Some people message the Uh, them to us privately, so I I don't want to, you know, make anyone feel awkward by saying their name or anything like that, Um, and I'm also going to do them in just a random order, so um, yeah, hopefully you enjoy, and hopefully if you submitted a question or several, we get to some of them in this episode, so question number one, do animals have souls, Great question, do animals have souls? Or this is the age old question, uh, do dogs go to heaven? Like those movies, all dogs go to heaven, one and two. I guess they couldn't figure out in the first one. Um, So to answer this question, do animals have souls? Yes, all living things, including plants, have souls. However, they're not the same as our human souls. So everything that God created and imbued with life has a soul. But things that aren't humans, um, animals, uh, creation, um, anything living, their soul is material. It's connected to their material body. Um, They do not have rational, spiritual, eternal souls like we do. Um, and we know that because we can conceive of abstract concepts that animals cannot conceive of. We have a defined sense of morality that you don't see anywhere else in the animal kingdom. Um, you know, the ability to um, progress technologically, like you don't see elsewhere, like we have this rationality that's observed. Um, and we've been revealed, it's been revealed to us by God that, you know, we're, we're destined for heaven, that our souls are eternal. And so, um, because we believe in resurrection of the body and you know, the existence of the eternal soul, we have this reality of hopefully heaven waiting for us after death. And so, um, animals in creation don't necessarily have that same reality because when they die, their soul dies. But for us, when our body dies, our soul goes on. It continues to exist in whatever state of union or separation from God that, um, meets whatever connection or rejection with God we had on earth. And so, um, the souls that animals have—they're entirely dependent on their material bodies, so they don't consent. They don't continue to exist after bodily death. Um, however. Um there could be animals in heaven. In fact, in Revelation and some of the other um, areas in Scripture where there's talk of heavenly hosts or visions of heaven, um, often there's animal or creature imagery. Um, And so we don't know if that's just to convey a point, to symbolize something, or if there are actual animals people are seeing. Um, And so how I generally describe heaven to people is that um, it's complete union with God. It's a state of complete union with God, complete um, relationship with Him and love Um, and anything good on earth will exist there unless something better exists there. That's going to make it totally outshined. So there may be animals in heaven. Um, your pet might, or at least a representation of your pet might be in heaven. But the idea that like, you know, Toto has a soul and that soul is going to go to doggy heaven. That's not something that computes with Catholic theology. So, um, yes, animals have souls, but not the same kind of souls that we do. Next question. What are the benefits of having a spiritual director? How do you find the right one? How do you actually sign up? Um, How do you get paired with one? Does the church offer resources for this? Do you pay? What qualifies someone to be a spiritual director? So a lot of different questions about spiritual direction. Um, And so um, I'll start with the first one. What are the benefits? Well, the benefits are you have someone who has an outside perspective on your life. uh, And this is kind of like Therapy or counseling in a sense, but for your spiritual life. And it doesn't mean you don't talk about the rest of your life because your spiritual life is affected by your entire life. Um, But it's specifically oriented toward um, the good in your relationship with God and seeking the good in your relationship with God, always improving that, always discerning new things. Um, And so it's really great to have someone who's not in it because when we're in it, we can kind of forget to pay attention to things. We don't notice patterns or habits as much as someone from the outside might We don't recognize the way that we say things or the way that we um, talk about ourselves or talk about God that might be unhealthy and someone else who has experience, who has, um, knowledge and education in the faith can point that out. Um, and because they're not in it with us, because they're not people who are intimately involved in our lives already. Um, there's not this sense of like, well, who are you to tell me that, you know, there's kind of a, a, a recognition that this person, you know, is professional and, you know, uh, wants to help us, but they're not intimately involved in it. And so they can kind of have like a, they can take a step back and, and have an outside perspective. Um, it's kind of like, um, and a lot of people go to con, uh, go to priests for spiritual direction. Not everybody, not every spiritual director needs to be a priest or is a priest. Um, but the benefit of going with a priest is that um, you always get to go to confession if you want. Um, and it's a kind of like a more natural conversation version of confession. Um, and the advice part is a whole lot longer. And so you really get to just have a lot of time to really, um, chew on different issues and things like that. Um, and so you normally go once a month, um, maybe more frequently if you're really battling something habitual or you're really trying to get, uh, achieve a certain goal or get to a certain place spiritually or overcome a certain temptation or a negative sinful habit. Um, so my advice, um, would be, um, first of all, to find one, um, first go to your parish, your church and ask the priest, um, ask the priest, uh, how do I find a spiritual director? They're going to be probably the most connected to qualified people. They may know people already in your parish. So for instance, at my parish at St. Timothy's, um, we have a spiritual director on staff, but there's probably a lot of people that don't know that, um, and she's really, really great. And then we also have um, office space for another female spiritual director to come in um, who's different than than this spiritual director that's on staff. And so we you know, have two people, and then we have the priests. And so um, there's always the option to do that. Um, And so uh, go to your parish and ask. Um, You can also look on your diocesan website, um, and normally there's some link there to some uh, local resource or maybe even a list of qualified people. Uh, For instance, in the Diocese of Orange, we have a place called the Loyola Institute for Spirituality, and they have a three-year certification program for spiritual direction. Um, And so... um, the, like what qualifies someone to be a spiritual director is that they have some kind of uh, certification, education, or experience in ministry or a combination. Um, and so like all priests have a master's in divinity. Um, they get their bachelor's in philosophy and then their master's is in divinity, which is a specific um, category of theology that's about like applied theology as a priest basically. Um people who go through certification programs they're very focused just on spiritual direction itself Uh, so they might have a little bit more um, education in like counseling and pastoral care similar things that priests get um, but priests also get a whole onslaught of other information as well. And so a lot of it is also learned in ministry. And so um, unless someone is very um, you know, well-read, well-learned, well-experienced in ministry already, if they're like fresh a priest or fresh in ministry, they're probably not the person you want to go to. You want to get someone who you feel comfortable with who um, is experienced, who uh, maybe comes recommended, ask people that you know who um, have spiritual directors or who you think might, um, if they know of any, who they'd recommend, who they go to, if they're willing to share that. Um, and then my advice would be to try out several different ones. In fact, maybe even book like three within the same two weeks if you can, and um, And don't go into any of them thinking that it's got to be perfect. Go in with an open mind. Um, And then even if your first one is great, go to the rest of them. Make a well-reasoned decision. And even if one or all of them are kind of negative, keep looking and asking, you know, uh, finding out more and more. You'll find resources about more and more people. Uh, And I think most good spiritual directors would be ready and willing to offer you suggestions of other spiritual directors if you're not um, gelling with them. Um, and so there are a few people who I, um, who have asked me to direct them. I don't really consider myself a, um, you know, a spiritual director, but, um, I've had some experience just helping people through things. And so I've built a rapport with some people and they ask me for that and I offer it. Um, and so, um, but if someone wasn't gelling with me, I would absolutely have like five to 10 other people that I'd be like, these people are probably going to be way better than me. So <laughs> go for it, you know? Um, and so, um, one of the other questions was, do you pay? Um, it depends. Most priests, you don't have to, um, they might accept like a free will offering if you wanted to give that, um, a lot of lay persons, um, you are encouraged to, or they may even ask you, they may have a set fee. Um, normally, I think in my experience, I mean, a normal spiritual direction session is around maybe an hour, you know, something like that. Um, and usually, I would say it's between like 20 and $50 is like the going rate. Um, and people are always very conscious of the fact if you're unable to pay or if you need less than that, like that's something that can always be talked about. This is something that we really want available to a lot of people people really want to offer it and there's not really anyone out there who's like a full-time professional spiritual director like most people do this you know as kind of a side thing they want to offer their gifts to help other people and encourage them spiritually and so it's not really something that people are like making tons of money on you know like professional speakers or life coaches or something like that so um, that's at least my experience that may not be the same where you are you may have like full-time professional spiritual direction centers where you are but at least where i am and what i've seen and experienced that's not the case so um first and foremost go to your, your parish ask the priest ask people around you who have them or who you trust um figure out uh what some different options are set up some appointments Um, And just go in with an open mind and just recognize like you may not gel with the first few people, but you definitely will gel um, with somebody. And so when people ask me for spiritual directors, I typically ask them, do you want a priest? Um, Do you someone you can go to confession with? Or do you want a lay person? And if you want a lay person, do you want male or female? Um, and then like, tell me a little bit about what you're looking for, your personality, you know, and then I can kind of gear them toward a couple different options. And I try and give them some options of like, okay, here's two people. If you don't like one, you'll definitely like the other, you know, just like people who are very different. So, um, that's the, the general, um, I think generally answers all those questions. I would highly recommend it. If you're in professional ministry, if you're serving in ministry, like professionally, you have to have a spiritual director. You just, you need one. It's should be required by anyone who's, you know, um, employed in ministry in any capacity. Um, if you're serving in ministry as a volunteer, I would say highly recommended, something you should definitely seek out. And if you're really trying to take living out your faith seriously, I would really encourage you to to do it um, because we can't walk this alone and it always helps to have someone with an, an outside perspective. So uh, that's a little bit on spiritual direction. Question three. What is the best way to go about learning more about Catholicism? What are some of the best resources? Um, well, first and foremost, I would recommend um, Scripture and the Catechism, uh, because everything that the Church teaches is housed in those two—you um, know—parts of the the revelation um, that's been revealed to us. Um, so, Scripture and tradition make up the two. Um, pillars of the, of the way God has revealed himself, and also in, you know, in reason and logic and nature and all those different things, but the primary, you know, um, divine revelation that we have from God, how he's transmitted his teaching to us through the Holy Spirit, is primarily in Scripture and in tradition, and so um, if, if we're not rooted in Scripture and trying to learn more about it and seeing where those teachings come from and getting to know Jesus— Um, then we can over-ritualize Catholicism and we can learn a lot of information about it, but we can miss the whole point of it. And so really engaging with Scripture to know Jesus is going to help you know more about Catholicism. And then the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I would recommend um, getting, you know— trying out a couple different versions so there's the united states uh catechism for adults it's a big red book and it's it's in chapter format with like questions and answers and study questions reflections stories of saints it's very uh readable but it follows the same general structure as the traditional catechism which is a white book and if you have an older one i think it's a big green book um, and that's good as well. Um, the traditional catechism is in four sections. Um, one I think is on the creed, one is on liturgy and sacraments, and one is on morality. And then the fourth section is on prayer. I would actually recommend starting with the, the last section. If you're going to read a, a general catechism, uh, go to the prayer section and read that first and then go back and read the rest. Um, it's just organized in a particular way because it starts with the creed and then it talks about, um, how the church is born out of that and interacts with us in the sacraments and then how that affects our lives, which is morality and then how that comes back to God in our prayer. So it's kind of sequential in that way. But if you go into it with like zero understanding of the purpose behind learning more about your faith, which is prayer and having a relationship with Jesus, then, as I said, it can over-ritualize and over, like, make your faith more informational than transformational. Um, So that would be my encouragement. Um, So look at those two things. And then to help you navigate them, I think Catholic Answers is a really great resource. Um, There's great blogs, great podcasts, their um, live radio show. I mean, they're one of the best resources out there just to teach you the information. Like, what does the church teach about this? There are a whole lot of podcasts out there about living out your faith or, you know, um, different approaches or, you know, spiritualities or things like that, but, uh, or, you know, the state of the church today, but not a lot of them actually are out there just telling people, here's what the church teaches about this, you know? Um, So, Um, Dr. Edward Sri has a really um, great podcast. I think it's called Why Catholic. Um, I'll have to look that up um, while I'm I'm trying to do it while I'm recording. Um, Yeah, it's not going to happen. So, um, but... um, Bishop Barron has a couple of really great podcasts. His might be a little bit more dense theologically. Oh, Dr. Edward Cries is called All Things Catholic. Um, And so that's a really good, he has short episodes. Um, But um, my spiritual director, he has a podcast. Um, It's called Home, Where Faith and Family Meet. And he puts his homilies on there, but right now they're doing uh, recordings of a catechism study that they're doing at a parish. And so if you've never studied the catechism and you want kind of like a guided, you know, um, someone teaching you through it, Um, they're recording that. And I think the first seven parts are already on their podcast. And so um, that's something that you can go look up, Home, Where Faith and Family Meet podcast, and look at their catechism study uh, episodes. And then uh, a great book would be Why Be Catholic by Trent Trent Horn um, from Catholic Answers. Um, It kind of is written for a non-Catholic, atheist, like non-religious audience. So it takes things from a very base level. And brings them to an understanding of like why you'd want to be Catholic and, and why that matters. Um, and that should really be the foundation of any desire to learn more about the faith. So th- that would be my encouragement. Start with scripture and the catechism. Use Catholic Answers and podcasts and resources and books to kind of help clarify a lot of the things you read in there. Or help guide you as you're looking through them. So um, Yeah. And then you'll, you'll come across great other books, but I, um, I think those are some, some really great places to start. Um, all right, another question. Um, I have a few friends who are engaged to someone they have same-sex attraction toward. I love my friends but disagree with their lifestyle cho- choices, and I know it's not something the church encourages. I don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing my opinions about it to them, nor do I truly feel the need to. Any suggestions on how to love your friends and family when you disagree with some of their choices? This also goes for things such as sex before marriage um, yeah, great question. I think this is something that anyone who's living out their Catholic faith, um, is going to encounter. I think it's something, um, that we have to really handle sensitively because we may be the only Catholic someone meets. They may stake their entire um, idea of what religion, what church, what Catholicism is based on how well or how poorly we interact with them, uh, how judged or welcomed they feel. And so, um, I think turning to some scriptural examples might be helpful to look at what Jesus does. Um, but I think we have to establish a few things first um, to recognize um, their sin is no different than our sin. Um, you know, yes, there's venial and mortal sin, but I think sometimes people demonize sexual sins and especially sins uh, involving or attraction involving same sex attraction um, more so than other sins. And to recognize like, look like divorce, premarital sex, abortion, um, you know, murder, Yeah, all these different things, they're all sin, you know, and a lot of people commit grave sin. Um, it's no different than anyone else's, um, in terms of how it separates us from God. Um, and to recognize like God is love and to love as St. Thomas Aquinas says is to will the good of another. So that means God, he can only will our greatest good. It's impossible for him to want anything other than that. Now he allows for, what we might perceive as very bad things to happen uh, because he respects our free will. But anything he actively does, that's different than him allowing something, but anything he actively does in our life is for our greatest good. And the church that he established, he established it in such a way with a hierarchy and with a revelation from him um, in the person of Jesus Christ and in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, established that church to also will our greatest good. And so the things that come out of the church, people may misunderstand them, but you can think of them as like rules in a soccer game. You know, people aren't playing soccer and saying like, why do we have this rule? We should just be able to like use our hands and like score goal wherever we want. It's like, no, like they understand that the rules are there to keep them safe and help them play the game well so that they can score points and win. And that's kind of like what the church offers us in the commandments, the beatitudes, the different things that the church um, encourages us to do or not do is to say, like, here's the boundaries for life. If you want to have a good life, if you want to live the life of, of true goodness and happiness, truth, beauty, love that God created you for, here's the rules for that game of life to help you play that game well and to win, to get to heaven. Um, and if you, if you mess up, you know, if you hurt yourself along the way, um, you may feel like you're rubbing up against one of those rules and you can respond in two ways. You can get back up, you know, you can take your penalty, or you can get back up, keep playing, or you can throw a fit, and the ref's going to give you a yellow card, and you're going to be real mad at the ref in the game for a little while. But to recognize, like, take a step back and say, like, no, that rule was probably good; it's trying to keep me safe. Um, and so to to keep that mentality, and also to recognize that if God wants our greatest good, and if the church wants our greatest good, and our job in loving other people is to will their greatest good, and we recognize that we're all sinners. And that we all have a hunger for something greater than our sin. We all have a hunger for truth, goodness, and beauty. That we're no different in that. Um, it's not something the church invented. Like everybody wants that. Then you realize, like the the beauty of what we believe as Christians is not something we really have to sell to people from scratch. Like there's something within everybody that wants what Jesus is offering them. They just may have some preconceived notions or misconceptions about what religion or what Jesus might look like. And so in their life, and so they may have already rejected that idea, but they haven't rejected that desire they have in their heart. That's still there. Everybody has it. And so that hunger is something to pay attention to and to recognize like that's an opportunity in every person that you meet. They hunger for knowing who they were created to be, for knowing a better life, for knowing something that makes them feel fulfilled. So why do we give all this backstory when it comes to this situation with, um, you know, trying to witness to people who have same sex attraction or who may be um, having premarital sex or just living kind of in any immoral situation or situation that we may think like, this is not for your greatest good um, is to recognize that that desire for truth is in them. And so instead of trying to teach them, for instance, or tell them, Hey, you know what I think you're doing is really harmful and wrong. um, First of all, Witness your own faith joyfully, because uh, faith is better caught than taught. Most people don't respond well when someone just comes up to them and starts proselytizing. Uh, They're going to take it as judgment, even if you're doing it very well with compassion and with love. A lot of people are are taken aback by it at first, but if you really are witnessing joy, people have this kind of inquisitive nature and say, like, there's something there. Like, what is it about what that person has? I want to know. And we see this in uh, the story of the Samaritan woman. Um, when uh, Jesus meets the woman at the well in John chapter 4, um, the, uh, Jesus comes to her and says, Hey, give me a drink. And she's like baffled by the fact that him, a single man, is approaching a single woman at a well, which is a place traditionally in the Old Testament where people met their wives. Um, with And so he's there without an escort. She's very taken aback by this. But he just, um, she's like, how can you do this? And he says, if you knew the gift of God, who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water, as in water that would never run out. And he's like offering hes in his witness and his presence there something more, something that she doesn't have. And she starts asking like, give me this water, give me this water. And through this kind of her asking more and more about him because she's inquisitive about who this person is, he then reveals like, yeah, I know that you don't have a husband. I know that you've been married uh, five times and the person you're with now is not your husband. And he reveals all of this, but he reveals it out of, being present to her joyfully, being present to her authentically, um, not offering, like, you did this and you're bad, but really, you know, he offers something good first, right? He offers this living water. And he approaches her um, with no, like, preconceived judgment. Like, at the time, any other rabbi, he would have been expected to kind of scoff at this woman, um, you know, reject her, um, not even give her the time of day. And I think a lot of people who feel like they're in a non-religious environment or living in something that maybe the church might see as, quote unquote, bad, will look at people who are religious and just automatically assume that we're judging them or that we don't want to approach them. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Like our mission is to love everyone. uh, And that was the mission of Christ. You know, that's one of the reasons for the incarnation um, to show us how much God loves us. But another one of the reasons was to teach us how to live, and so we want to share that beauty and that truth of what Jesus is offering us to everybody, but we want to do it tactfully, we want to do it gently, and we want to do it at the right time and in the right way. And so recognize um, it's not always the right time. You don't always have to be that person, but you can always live your faith well, uh, and you can always ask questions of people, you know, um, especially if you know that people are religious, So for instance, we have this principle of fraternal correction that you see in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, where it says, um, what if your brother sins against you? Um, What do you do? Go to him in private. If he doesn't listen to you, take uh, one or two others. And if he doesn't listen to you, then uh, go to the church. And if he re- doesn't listen then, then treat him as you would a, um, a Gentile or tax collector. And so it's kind of offering a system of correction. like. But that's for people who are our, our brothers and sisters in Christian baptism in Christ, who know the the truth of how we're supposed to be living. And so some people don't, but I think a lot of people have some moral sense, or maybe some kind of you know Christian upbringing that's becoming less and less common. So I'm speaking very generally. But to recognize like um, there's an opportunity always you know if if you know someone's religious like you know hey I- I- I've always been curious, but, um, you know, do you experience a tension with like, you know, your lifestyle and, and your spirituality or your faith? Like, how does that feel for you? Is that difficult for you? And really ask like genuinely inquisitively to understand where they're coming from and not to be waiting for that point to be like, ha gotcha. Now I'm going to drop this theology truth bomb and it's going to blow your mind or make you feel really convicted. You know, that's not the point. But I think if we really seek to understand where they're coming from, we might recognize they may already be grappling with these ideas in their own mind, and we can be just um, someone to shed a little bit more light, or we can always just be joyfully witnessing our faith and never shying away from opportunities to talk about it when it comes up, um, even when it comes up negatively, um, to really boldly witness and be like, actually, that's not what the church believes, and I love being Catholic for this reason, and I've learned because of my love for the church, that it's actually this way. And you can really, you know, um, speak truth into a situation and into a group of people where you may find out that you're not the minority, but the minority is the people who are willing to speak up because they all think that they're alone. They all think that they're the minority. I've had so many times where people have told me or that have happened in my own life, where someone had said something about the church and I spoke up in a room um, and I didn't think there was going to be any agreement, you know, I thought it was going to be one against everybody. And later on or throughout the course of the conversation, people were like, yeah, you know, I kind of believe that too. Or like, you know, they were kind of halfway there or they'd come up to me after and say, thank you so much for saying something. I've never been able to like voice that before. Um, I've always wanted to say something, you know, so whether it's in the workplace or at school or in a group of friends, Um, never be afraid to authentically witness that, um, and just live what you're, what you're joyfully living unapologetically, you know, um, and to, to show how your life is really feeling fulfilled, um, in the areas of truth and goodness and beauty. Other people will want that. And then you can start to ask questions when they ask you, you know, like, Hey, what's different about you? You can ask them, well, like, what do you see that I have that you're looking for? You know, what do you feel is lacking in your life? Why do you feel that? Tell me a little bit about your life. You know, what are you doing um, that you may feel? you think might be detrimental or negative to your spiritual health or your idea of feeling fulfilled. And a lot of times people, they never rationally think about this from a foundational level. It's one of those things that's just like around them all the time. It's kind of like what I was talking about in that spiritual direction question. It's good to have an outside perspective because we don't really inquisitively look at like, how did I get here? Uh, Why do I do the things that I do every day? Why do I believe what I believe? It just kind of evolves over time slowly and so when that is all brought under healthy scrutiny um we really have to come up with justification for that and it can really cause us to reassess like where our values are if we're really living in the way that we desire or not so uh, i hope that helps i hope that and that's with any situation where someone is you know living in a way that is detrimental to their spiritual health to their well-being because you know we're not trying to do anything out of judgment for other people um And as I said, it may not be the right time to speak up. You can kind of discern the Holy Spirit in that moment. I think um, in those moments, pray for boldness and pray for the words. And if they come, then you know it's the right time to speak. Um, But to recognize we're not doing this because everybody, we need to correct everyone and everyone needs to be perfect and without sin because that's never going to happen on this side of heaven. But to recognize like there are people out there, everyone on this planet is hungering for God, whether they know it or not. They want that feeling of love, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty. Everybody wants that. Um, We know it as fully revealed in God and how he revealed himself in Jesus Christ and and his Holy Spirit. Um, And other people deserve to know that reality because if we think heaven is on the line, we should love them enough to be able to tell them about it. Um, But we need to do it tactfully with love because to love is to will their good. And willing their good is not something that makes them feel judged or condemned or makes them feel more negative than before the conversation started. Um, so, really be tactful about how you do that. Um, don't be afraid to do it in those moments, but recognize loving someone doesn't mean accepting all their choices, it means willing their good. And so how do you do that? You offer them, you invite them into the good, you share it with them by just being an authentic witness. And when faith comes up, when spirituality comes up, when moral issues come up, don't be afraid to talk about them, but lovingly with a desire to understand their point of view and where they're coming from and asking, you know, um, genuinely inquisitive questions about their line of reasoning to help you learn more about another perspective and also help them learn more about how they got there and if they really have the evidence or the, um, conviction to believe that, or if it just kind of happened and they didn't realize it, you know? So that's uh, speaking generally for a lot of different issues. So, um, hopefully that helps with those particular ones, but I was trying to speak it to a broader sense of, you know, just issues in general. So hopefully that helps. Um, all right. A couple more questions. I think we'll, we'll have time for a few more. Um, why be Catholic and not Protestant. Um so first of all I want to caveat this question with um believing in Jesus is awesome and everybody should do it. So uh to me it's all about Jesus. And so if someone is Protestant, I don't really have any desire to go and evangelize them and make them Catholic. They've already figured out the fact that Jesus has saved them from their sins and knowing that um their only way to get to heaven is through him. Um That's all we really need to know. You know, um, the Bible is not necessary for salvation. Um, The sacraments are not necessary for our salvation, technically. You know, so like to recognize like we're blessed to have them in our church um, and they help sustain us and help us live a saintly life more faithfully, a holy life more easily. And they um, are being authentic to the way in which God wanted us to be in relationship with him because we're living out our lives in the church that he founded. However, it's not like we need to go, you know, um, knocking on the doors of all the Protestants. There are a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus at all. Those are the people in the mission field. Um, yes, if conversations come up, healthy debates or arguments, people have misconceptions or genuine questions about Catholicism, answer them with love. Um, but I would think, I think my the best way I can analogize this question: Why be Catholic and not Protestant? Is to think of it like online dating. Um, and so when you meet somebody online. Um, you're meeting a, a, um, a digital version of this person, a, um, a basic version, a, non, um, a, a not as real uh, and not as full person um, <clears throat> as you would face to face. And so you could think about Protestantism as the online version you're still meeting the person, you might really gel with them, you might like them, you might even maintain this relationship with them, maybe even your whole life, there are people who do this, who they meet online, and they never get a chance to meet, but they fall in love, and I'm not talking about catfishing, you know, that's a horrible thing that happens, I'm talking about, let's just pretend two real people meet online, and they're actually the people they say they are, and they basically tell the truth about who they are to the other person, right, um, so, um, So there's a difference between that and then meeting the other person in person. Now, I think people who meet online, their goal is always to meet the other person in person. Why? Because there's a fuller sense of who that person is, a fuller sense of the truth of their identity. When you meet them in person, you can physically touch them, you can see them, you can interact with them, you can have experiences and memories together. Um, and so there's a deeper sense of truth about that person. That's what we believe about Catholicism. That Catholicism contains the fullness of the truth as revealed by God um, in the person of Jesus and the church that he instituted and that he continues to guide with his Holy Spirit. That's like meeting that person face to face and knowing everything about them authentically and honestly. However, meeting them online you still know them a little bit. You know, some things might be a little distorted or misinterpreted because of the communication. You may not know as much information about them because it's harder to type it all out or, you know, to, to know what to say at the right time and you have less time to talk. You're not around each other every day. Uh, and so Protestantism, there is some truth there and they've got the core of it, which is Jesus, you know, and as long as our eyes are fixed on him and we have a relationship with him, we know that he's the source of our salvation. And so um, it's still the same person but why would you want to stay with that online relationship if you knew there was the opportunity to go meet him face-to-face? Um, so there are a lot of people out there who are living Protestant lives, like their lives in the Protestant church, evangelicals, non-denominational Christians, and they're completely content with who they are in the Lord, and they have no experience of any other faith tradition or of Catholicism, um, and they're, they're fine where they are, and that's beautiful. You know, they know Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think the problem would be is if a Protestant learned about Catholicism, saw that there was a deeper sense of truth there, but openly rejected it because they just didn't want to do it. I think that would be a problem. Or if someone knew the fullness of the Catholic faith and then went to Protestantism because they just liked the music better or they liked the people more. Um, I can understand if someone was hurt by the church or had a big misconception about what the church believed Or maybe a Catholic really just misrepresented the faith and was just a jerk to them or really just, you know, made them have an awful experience. That's different. But if someone just knows the truth, but it's like, yeah, but I'm going to go over here instead. That's different. You know, so there's there's kind of culpability there. Um, Whereas. Otherwise, if you don't know, but you know the core of it, like there's really no difference. But I would say, why be Catholic? We have the fullness of the truth. Um, we, uh, it's the church that Jesus himself founded. It's been in existence for almost 2,000 years. Um, and if we as Christians want to believe in Jesus uh, and do the things that he does and follow the things that he said, we should be a part of the church that he founded. Um, and so there are a lot of churches who teach the teachings of Jesus, but they can't trace their authority back to Jesus. Um, you know, their authority is, you know, one guy who decided to start a church. Um, but we can trace our authority through ordination, through tradition for, you know, 2000 years in an unbroken line, um, of apostolic authority all the way back to Jesus himself. And that's pretty awesome. So that would be my, my answer. Um, I have a handful of other questions. Um, Actually, these are probably pretty short. So let me finish these up and then um, we won't have to do another Q&A episode. Um, Or you can send more questions in and we will. Actually, you know what? I'm going to end it. I'm going to keep you hanging. I'm going to do a, a part two questions episode. So if you have questions that you want to send in, um, I've got about four or five more um, for an upcoming episode. But if you want um, more questions answered or questions that these questions brought up and ar- arose in you, please send them in to us. But I want to keep this a really, you know, palatable time frame of an episode. So um yeah, I hope you enjoyed those questions. Thank you to those of you who sent them in. I hope those answers were helpful to you. If you need to clarify anything or you have any follow-up questions, please let me know. You can email us at manafoodforthought at gmail.com or you can comment or direct message us on Instagram is probably the best way to get a hold of us at thought, all spelled out. Uh, on Instagram. And keep in mind, uh, you can always support us financially. Go to our website, manafoodforthought.com You can also see all of our blogs, vlo- old vlogs there. Um, rate and review our podcast, do all that good stuff. The highest compliment you could pay to us is to share this with your friends and to, you know, share it on social media Give us a good rating um, and a comment on there, a review. Um, it helps other people find it. So your participation in spreading this this podcast and the good that we are praying God continues to do with it, um, that is is such a high compliment, such high praise, and we appreciate it every time it happens. So thank you to those of you who have done that. And if you haven't yet, I just ask that you prayerfully consider sharing this with someone or any previous episode with someone you think could benefit from it. But that's it. Until next time, know that we're praying for you, and we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.